Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Does the healthcare system know you? Do they really know you in the same way that Amazon, Pandora, or Netflix does? Are you like me and find yourself drawn to the recommended for you section on websites to see what else might be of interest or relevant to your life and world? In healthcare, the system is not only tone deaf, but many times a one size fits all approach with little customization. You need to see a doctor, follow this process and these steps. Never mind your age, gender, relationships, geography, prior experiences, or knowledge. We have this process, and you need to follow it to get to your goal or destination. That destination might well turn out to be the wrong one, and your experience may well feel like a recent one of mine, where I entered the destination in the GPS and was adamant we were going to the right place, only to discover upon arrival that there were two streets with the same name in completely different parts of Dublin City. Same thing in healthcare. We end up at the doctor only to find ourselves unhappy with the result or experience. It might be the wrong type of service or option, not the right fit to our unique and personal situation. In healthcare, we are playing a team sport and need complete coordination that is underpinned by information that is easily available and readily accessible. But healthcare teams come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, just like in sports. Recreational, intramural, divisional and professional, all with different resources and capabilities, so solutions have to take account of limited access to technology, internet, and potential instability of housing and food. Join me on Healthcare Upside Down as I talk with Kristen Begley, the Chief Commercial Officer at Wildflower Health, where they are empowering the Chief Health Officer of Families. The Chief Health Officer is oftentimes the matriarch in the family, but is also a role fulfilled by others. It is critical to successful outcomes, and not only dealing with illness, but also improving health and wellness in the broader family unit. Unfortunately, these individuals' time is limited with so many other competing family and life priorities and struggle to be successful in the role. To enable them, we need to break down the healthcare silos and seamlessly connect them to the wide array of internal and external resources, empowering them to be successful healthcare team leaders that we all need. Hello, Kristen, and welcome to the show. Good morning. So we know we have lots of silos in healthcare. There's all this separation, but you think there's an answer to this. Tell us what it is. Yeah, um, at Wildflower, we have always had this really strong sense of the fact that women are the chief health officers of the home. We've created 
um, digital white label platforms for both payers and providers in the industry to help navigate mom to the right resources at the right time, personalized. Um, and I think a real key that the entire industry has been missing is that they haven't collapsed the silos between payer, provider, employer. They haven't made it easy, like your experience with Netflix or Amazon, where they know about you, they know what you like to order, and they give you suggestions. And that's really what people want. I don't want my, I don't have diabetes personally. I don't want to be flooded with information around diabetes because it's not relevant to me. So we need to give women oftentimes being the chief health officer of the home, the tools that they need for them specific to themselves and their families, rather than just, you know, hoping that they find it or God forbid they're on Dr. Google learning who knows what the physician's worst nightmare, right? So the chief health officer, that's really the health coordinator in a family setting. It does predominantly fall on women. I think that's universally been true, not just for decades, but in my view, centuries possibly, that women tend to take on that role and it's gotten more complex and we've got all of these disparate, connected, semi-connected experiences. How are you going about this? It just feels like we're never gonna make all of that easy. Yeah, well, just to back up, whether you're a woman, which oftentimes 90% of the household healthcare decisions are made for themselves, which of course women use more healthcare than the opposite sex, or they're making these decisions for their children, or they're making it for their aging parents, the average woman or chief health officer of the home, if it's a male, it happens to be male if he's taking lead on it, the average person has about 32 minutes a day. Any CFO in their right mind will complain about productivity of employees, like if people are not well or if they're navigating their benefits uh, at work, it's taking time from their work day so you lose productivity. And the other thing I like to talk to people about is the age bands, you know, the boomers and the millennials and the gens, the Gen Xers are much more capable of navigating healthcare than the Zers and you know younger generations. So that's one thing that people uh, factor into it. But oftentimes people just don't have the information they need. And again, back to Dr. Google, they're out there searching places because they don't know who to trust. They maybe didn't download the application from their health plan. Maybe their hospital system did have a good digital front door, but it was more, um, I would say, a piece of check your copay or schedule your appointment. It's more EMR related without like a consistent sticky sticky platform, right? A lot of us have done my fitness pal. And eventually when you don't want to lose weight anymore, you kind of fall off my fitness pal. You need to have the stickiness of a consumer platform like Facebook or Pinterest. So not only for wildflower, do we put in content that's relevant to them um, for their conditions? We also allow them to put in their family members. We know that women will take care of and women making more of the chief health officer decisions than men do. But whoever that chief health officer is, they actually care more about their children than they do about their own health care. So being able to put the family in and not just having an app for you and some other app for your child. Nobody wants 20 different apps on their phone trying to manage healthcare. an app for their co-pays, an app for scheduling an appointment. Nobody wants that. So it's really about collapsing the silos of you know, that content, making it sticky, allowing them to go in, schedule appointments, have reminders, and also the fun stuff, right? Like healthy recipes or talking to your kids about wearing a bicycle helmet. 
And lastly, what Wildflower, we went from just having this digital front door, very sticky, more of a consumer-like experience for payers and providers that we white labeled. So no one had to recognize our name. But lastly, when COVID hit, we thought we need not only provide software, we needed to provide hardware so we could do remote monitoring at home and keep people out of the offices. But we also needed to provide an advocate because not everybody resonates, whether you're older, whether you're a Medicaid mom and your device isn't that good to do chat function, you know, depending on the level of the um, device. We knew some people just resonated talking. I also know some people like to chat. Some people like to text. Some people will only talk. So you kind of have to fill out that whole spectrum if you're going to be really successful in engaging people in the way that they like to be engaged. So you bring up an interesting point. You talk about the Medicaid. One of the challenges around all of this technology, you're, you're talking about a technology solution. And I'm sitting here going, well, that's great, but we've got the 37 million people that don't have internet or don't have decent internet, don't have technology, laptop devices. Maybe they've got a phone. Maybe it's an old phone. Are we really getting to them? Are we just creating another technology barrier that essentially separates the uh, underserved even further from access to care? Yeah, interestingly, one of our first clients was a Medicaid client. So we learned early how to optimize technology depending on lower grade level of phone um, and also language, right? You have to write to a fifth grade level or below if you're going to help more with the underserved. Um, and actually, the phone in the Medicaid population is the best way to get a hold of a mom. It is the most stable of their um, devices and living circumstances. So that is the best way to reach them. Finally, uh, that was one of the important pieces of adding an advocate to our platform. Some people just don't deal well if, if their phone is very, very, very old and it's not operating or they didn't pay their phone bill you know, those sort of things where they switch phone numbers, those sort of things that can happen in underserved populations, uh, we added the advocate to talk to them. So a, a person that they can call. So that's a little more old school. It's definitely more expensive. Most audience members in healthcare probably realize that 50% of the babies in the U.S. are born to Medicaid moms. So it's a really important segment if we're going to shrink the balloon, have better birth outcomes for women and babies and not have the million dollar babies in the NICU. Yeah, which it's not, I will interrupt you. Ultimately, the taxpayers pay for, right? So right. It, I, they do. And it's not just the million dollar babies. It's the appalling level of morbidity and mortality that we see in the United States that is attributable to essentially poor um, prenatal care that can absolutely prevent and uh, improve all of that. But for that group, how are you reaching them? Do you even find them early enough? The key to that group is being embedded with the provider. Because, you know, if you think about if you're coming from a payer point of view, you're three months in arrears on the claims data. So payers really want to be at the point of care. Providers, you know, the federally qualified health centers, they're the, only, they're the first touch point, right, of a real clinical visit to confirm a pregnancy. And if you have a digital application that the provider is saying, hey, download this, we're going to communicate, we're going to set up appointments, it's going to help educate you. And 
you know, in other socioeconomic circumstances, if you think about maybe they live in a food desert, they may not have access to high quality food. They tend, you know, could tend to eat more McDonald's. They may be more often overweight than other socioeconomic demographics. It's really important to give them a device to go home, to measure their blood pressure, to measure their weight, to try to keep those things together. So I would say critical is Yes, the digital piece of it that it's, you know, technology enabled for lower model phones. Second piece is written to the appropriate level. Third piece is having an advocate. Fourth piece is make sure that you're there at the provider's office and it's the provider that is providing an application because that's the first point of care versus being three months in arrears from the payer. Hopefully, you've integrated the resources from the payer also, and you've integrated resources like uh, Find Help, which is the old Aunt Bertha, where you are you know, helping them with transportation, helping them with safety issues, food issues. So there's a lot of things that go into the Medicaid space to make it successful. I will say that we are now entering a zone where we're being more predictive and partnering with data companies that have, you know, basically the U.S.'s data to be predictive around which moms are most at risk based on their zip codes um, so that we can help them faster without them identifying. Lastly, really interesting things that we're doing around, um, you know, a simple question and application in our digital front door where we say, you know, are you interested in hearing about uh, healthcare and racism, or how to how to identify it and work around it. Since you know we know we have just different levels of care across the country, and how can a mom advocate for herself? We put simple questions in there if we don't happen to know ethnicity to begin with, and obviously if they're interested in looking at that content, we know more about them because that's what that's what digital does, right? Like Dr. Google knows what you've been looking at on the internet. Um, and then those things are coming up. We know if women are looking at depression articles three times a day, they can self-select down, you know, do they want to take those tests? And then it flags us to, to make the provider aware we have an issue or reach out to the mom if it, they happen to be in a value-based um, value organization. So all of this reminds me a little bit of the story a number of years ago where uh, a father was most upset to be receiving pregnancy uh, prenatal information uh, about, uh, uh, or sent to him, in fact, um, but it turned out that the data was essentially providing a signal about his daughter. And, you know, there's a negative aspect to this very clearly, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, are you treading on privacy um, into my life in an inappropriate way, which, you know, is a difficult line but there's also a positive to that, which says, could you identify some of those mums even earlier based on that? Is there any data that might tie it together? Not just from a zip code, which is just a very uh, uh, unspecific kind of approach. Have you started to think about that? And is there an opportunity? And how do you deal with the privacy aspect of this? Well, the good news is we don't use snail mail. I mean, we're a digital company, right? We're not sending letters to people's home, which I know has been the historic way that you get attention, whether it's EOBs or, you know, hey, we have a second opinion company. If you need help coaching or if you have issues or maybe you need help losing weight, we're here for you. I mean, I get those mailers too at my house. So if you're a digital company, it's obviously on your phone. We do allow family members to tie other family members. You're not going to tie family members if you don't want them to know about your health care. 
Um, so that's one thing. And of course, all of those, you know, downright or downloads, you have to give permissions if you want to tie someone else to your to your health. I will say this though, this is one of the biggest failures in healthcare. The fact that we are not personalized, we aren't taking those signals from other places so that we personalize the content. Navigating healthcare is like navigating a zoo, right? You just, you don't know where you're going. If you have diabetes, how do you get to the right place? So it's really important to take those signals, whether it be from the patient or when we're integrated into an EMR at a hospital, we can see claims uh, or even prescription drugs. We could go as far as saying, well, I see someone's taking fertility medications. I tend to revert back to pregnancy and fertility because that's where our, that's where we focus on um, today. And I could say, well, they're starting fertility or they put their birth control. Some of those things are signals or they're taking prenatal vitamins if they happen to be prescribed versus over the counter. Those are all signals to me that we have someone trying to get pregnant. Um, so we are taking in all that information to provide signals so that we can better personalize content and calls to action, care plans and to do's for patients. So do you think patients are actually accepting of this even more so? I mean, it sounds like opt-in is important. I, I share this with my trusted family members. I think, uh, you know, it, essential element of this is the trust component that has to be part of any equation, the folks that you engage with. I mean, we already trust Google with our data by saying, we're gonna take free Gmail. Uh, you know, the world has free Gmail accounts. There's a price with that. We're giving up all of this data. Do you think there's a, a move that that's going to apply to healthcare data? Or does that start to encroach in an area where people know my line's here? I do think that it's happening, particularly because of the younger generation expects it, whether, you know, look at the move because of COVID into telemedicine, right? Or the popularity of some of the new telemedicine plus, you know, dealing with herpes medication or erectile dysfunction, um, those sort of issues. I think people are getting more comfortable with that, particularly the younger generation. I would suspect that the older generations, like my my parents still wouldn't ever use online banking. They're just not gonna do that. So they're not gonna feel comfortable. But in some situations, you get a little forced into it. I've watched my parents not wanna deal with the typical Medicare visit and they've moved into one of those VIP um, physician and they are forced into using a digital application. So, um, you know, if you want your healthcare with the doctor that you like or the health system that you like, you may often be forced into that. Interesting. And, and you mentioned remote monitoring, but I, I got to say, I've seen a, a host of these programs issuing uh, weighing scales, wearables, watches, you, you name it, essentially put out there, used maybe, maybe not. I've not seen good data to actually demonstrate a value proposition. Is that actually delivering anything or are we just introducing more technology with no uh, actual upside. I do think eventually our physicians will be connected to us in real time basis and there'll be flags notifying like if you've been a heart failure patient and the watch is then measuring your blood pressure or if you're a diabetes patient there's a new um, a new company that just got 100 million dollars without any needles to measure glucose on a weekly basis like this will be the future for us and it will provide value in our space where we're focused in value based care and taking risk on pregnancy women are very motivated 
whether you're a executive corporate mom or you're a Medicaid mom, all women are very motivated if they have high blood pressure to take their blood pressure or to step on the scale. So in our space, it is providing value, but I would agree in the general healthcare because it's not been very connected. Most general practitioners aren't, you know, following people to that level if they don't have a, you know, heart condition or whatnot. Um, I think today it hasn't been very useful and it's so scattered and there's so many stakeholders out there today that have so many different devices and some are connected and some aren't. And there's the, you know, um, are you a Google or are you an Apple person? And it just hasn't been interoperable. Like all healthcare hasn't been interoperable and you go from one doctor and you have to get paper copies and go to the next doctor. I do think the future is there because it is more of a remote monitoring and we don't want people in beds, right? We want to be a healthcare system. We don't want to be a sick care system. So the whole point is to keep you healthy at home. And that's going to come with virtual monitoring. Very easy in pregnancy. Women are super motivated to do what they want to do. Medicaid moms and corporate executives, everybody wants a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. This will, when the technology gets easier, I think it'll be part of our everyday lives. So as you think about that with all of the players in here, why aren't they doing this? Why is there a need for another organization to take this on and deliver this? Surely they can just do that, right? Well, um, I think it's a lot like the EMRs, right? It's a it's a bit of a spaghetti mess. Uh, we use middleware to help whether we're dealing with, you know, Epic or Athena or whoever we may have to deal with. Every time we connect to a hospital, it's a different integration. And by the way, once you've connected to one EMR, one system, you've connected to one because they all have their special instances. So I think it's the lack of interoperability and as technology advances and people start to realize that the only way we're going to be successful in healthcare is to empower patients. It can't be all on the physician. You know, if you're telling me as my physician, I need to lose weight and stop smoking and I never do it. How do you get dinged as the physician? So we've got to make it easier for people to navigate healthcare, a simpler message. It has to be personalized like technology is in our everyday life. And I have to be responsible too, as the patient, it can't just be my provider responsible and nagging me to do the right thing. So it it, it has to get easier and we can do this, but we have to not be so territorial about our silos if we expect patients to have good outcomes. And if we expect a healthcare system, not a sick care system, because it's not going to work anymore. And I, you know, last but not least, I think this movement to value-based care when physicians, their money kind of ran out, when people stopped going under our fee-for-service model, I think this movement to value-based care is going to help enable these integrations and stop the silo the silos between payers and providers so is this just loading more onto that chief health officer or are you actually making this easier for them the point is to make it easier to give them their calls of action the the point is to enable technology to make that chief health officer's life easier so she navigates she doesn't or he doesn't go to dr google knows exactly where to go and it's one place to go so we call it networking when you take payer and provider and employer and put it all in one place one application all of their calls to action uh, most people don't know what an EAP is, right? Like that's not a normal world, a word. In our world, it's normal. We know it's behavioral health. But what you want technology to do is see them look at the depression articles and say, touch here if you need help. 
not look at their benefits book and realize that they have a resource for mental health because they're likely never going to find that benefits book. So it's all about engaging the consumer and giving them or person and giving them the calls to action that they need at the right time. Um, and, you know, we have to recognize you're at different places. You're either, uh, you know, you're healthy and trying to stay healthy or you're in crisis and you have cancer and you need different types of resources at that moment. So making health easier. Kristen, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. The Family Chief Health Officer is an integral part of solving our healthcare and wellness problems. For many of the underserved communities and groups like the Medicare mums, by the time any support services and groups are aware, the opportunity to intervene and make a difference might be long past. Finding these individuals early enough and identifying their personal Chief Health Officer in their family group Connecting the dots and empowering these individuals makes for better health, better outcomes and lower costs of care. They say blood is thicker than water and we've seen evidence of the power of families littered throughout much of history, especially in the threads of royal history and protecting rulers and their kingdoms through family ties. These bonds exist for all of us and we can put them to good use, but only if they're found, enabled and engaged. This week, your better pill to swallow is to enable the positive impact of the family network in your health community. If that's your family, then supporting and integrating that individual to empower them. For healthcare systems and payers, it means facilitating that network. Drop the barriers, oftentimes placed in the false name of HIPAA. If the individual authorizes access of their information to someone else, another system or partner, that process has to be so easy even a five-year-old could do it, and it has to happen quickly. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash HUD for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.